Welcome to the Business of Sound. I'm David Segura, the CEO of Glassbox Media and the host for today's podcast. What we hope to accomplish through this series is to let you know more about podcast trends and innovations, and basically anything that you need to be successful, whether you're a creator, an executive, or someone else involved in the podcast ecosystem. For today's first ever episode, I'm actually joined by my co-founder, Chris Whitman, in addition to our marketing director, Nick Kastner. We're really excited to dive into today's program and tell you a little bit more about Glassbox Media, why we got started, and what we're hoping to accomplish for not just ourselves, but more importantly, the creators and the ecosystem as a whole. We hope you enjoy today's special episode live from Spotify Studios in Brooklyn, New York. Amazing. So episode number one, guys, we're, <laughs> we are going. Um, so to start with, first off, I just want to um, give huge props to both of you two. This is one of the coolest things I've ever done in my career, recording a podcast at Spotify that 12 months ago, I was only dreaming of this. So thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, and in, in, in doing so, I think that kind of segues into like kind of gl- what Glassbox is. And this show is, you know, presented by Glassbox Media. Um, so to, to go through my, you know, quick high level assessment, um, Glassbox Media podcast holding company with long-term exclusive relationships with podcasts. So the value proposition is very similar to a music label. Um, and then when the creator is open to it, we do take a st- uh, we we do buy a stake of um, of IP investments. Um, and then in doing so, our relationships involve monetization, which is Chris's department as chief revenue officer, uh, chief revenue officer. So ad sales, um, subscriptions, whatnot. Um, second is audience growth. Growth. So, growing the, the number of downloads and um, and listeners for each one of our shows, and then third is adaptation opportunities. So, turning a podcast into a book, television, movie show, what have you. Um, so, David, as CEO, how how is that? How is that high high level rundown of Glassbox? I think it's great. It gives people exactly what they need to know. Those are the core takeaways. Glassbox, you, you two as the co-founders, uh, it started about two years ago. That's correct. Yeah, it's about right. I mean. What, pen to paper, June 2020, but really didn't hit the ground running until January 2021. Okay. Right. Yeah, and um, June 2020, that um, a remarkable time for everyone. Um, so this being bred out, out of the pandemic, how, how, did the, uh, how did the idea come together? Yeah, it's a simple story of the band getting back together, so to speak. You know, I've known Chris for a long time now. We used to work together at my previous company, uh, Giant Media, and that was kind of like a native video exchange. That worked with a lot of amazing brands, including Dollar Shave Club, L'Oreal, Johnson & Johnson, and many more. And after working really closely with Chris and scaling that, we eventually sold it. And, you know, that skips a lot of detail here, but eventually we came together. Even the, even this is a little weird, I guess, to start a company in the pandemic, we did. And we have an awesome combination of, like, you know, folks that used to work with us and a lot of amazing new folks, including yourself. Yes, yeah. Well, well. Thank you. To to go back to Giant Media for a second. So, native video exchange. So, helping videos garner more impressions online. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the the Dollar Shave Club. Was there anything? I remember that. Um, I think the first time Dollar Dollar Shave Club hit, hit, hit my radar was that you know viral viral video. Yeah. Um, was was Giant involved in in, in that? We were. At all? We were on on the ground floor and. <laughs> The backstory there is that the founder and CEO of uh, Dollar Shave Club is Mike Dubin. Hmm. And uh, it's a friend of mine, but especially a friend of Jackie uh, Mayer, hmm. who is not only an executive of Giant, but now an executive Glassbox. And I'll be candid, um, that would have gone viral with or without us. They didn't really need our help. 
But you know how things are. You want to do best practices, make sure you got a solid foundation. So Mike came to us and basically said we had an opportunity, in his words, to work on something that he thought would be truly groundbreaking. While that was a little bit much as a pitch, he was right. You know, it was mm. groundbreaking. And so what we did for him is just make sure that it got seen on the right publishers, the right Facebook apps, and it truly scaled from there. So it was an amazing experience that, frankly, helped us build our credibility and made it a hell of a lot easier to get people like Gillette, L'Oreal, mm -hmm. and massive brands involved. So a lot of credit out to Mike if you're listening out there. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. And um, we, we will come back to the uh, the Gillette, L'Oreal, and, and both of you, both of your relationships with the, you know major brand, brand awareness people. Um, so the when, when was Giant Media sold? It was uh, March 2014, mm -hmm. and we started it in 2009. Okay, um, so between 14 and 2020, um, I know both of you two had had um, separate projects. Um, both are interesting. So, Chris, do you, yeah. you want to well, go through? Of what? After, after the acquisition, there was like a little a t period of time where you know basically we still had to like operate the company. Oh. So, okay, that, of course, that was going on. Ooh. I hear what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that was going on. Um, but yeah, I think like, you know, eventually, you know, we all kind of like decided to part ways from Giant. It was an awesome opportunity, amazing company, worked with a lot of awesome brands, um, many of which we're targeting now for the podcast space. But, um, you know, I went and actually like left digital media completely and started a creative agency that focused on experiential marketing. So it was called Crony Creative, still out there. We did a lot of work with media companies. Hmm. So you know, brands like BuzzFeed, Billboard, uh, High Snobiety, Complex, um, you know, it runs the gambit on, on different brands that we partnered with. But what was cool about that was that we were able to basically partner with a lot of, um, you know, just disparate brands like Delta, Chase, so on and so forth. So basically, we were the, you know, creative agency for the media companies. Hmm. Amazing. Yeah. And that, that, that experiential expertise you have, we've leaned on more and more as we've d discussed live events for our podcast. So certainly, yeah. certainly valuable um, expertise. Well, yeah. Even activating and sponsoring, you know, things like PodFest, mm -hmm. Podcast Movement. Um, you know, I think the community, podcast community is really, you know, still small, I think. And it's really intimate. And it's just amazing to be able to pop up in those environments and, you know, see a lot of familiar faces, meet a lot Absolutely. of new ones that are coming into the space as well. Yeah. Um, and so, David, between Giant and then the, uh, 2020, what what were you up to? Yeah, so it's a unique story. I mean, just like Chris mentioned, uh, you know, it was a great experience. But the word I, have to, I use to describe that is putting in our time. You know, in other words, they bought not just the assets and the revenue, but us. So we learned a lot, spent time in Cannes Lions, Europe. That was freaking amazing. Um, shout out to Scotland if you're out there. And uh, the holding company was called Ad Knowledge. And they were backed by, you know, investor luminaries like TBG, JMI, and uh, many others. So after, you know, working there for about two years, making sure it didn't go off the rails, making sure that they got their money's worth, that's what we wanted, I personally just took some time off. In other mm. words, I experimented with some projects here and there, even consulted some. But by and large, I just did a ton of travel in angel investing. You know, over 70 companies and counting. Some of those, um, you know, people probably know, including Liquid Death. Hawthorne, the clone company, Rove Collaborative, a lot of others. But like a lot of people, when the pandemic happened, I was just bored as hell. You know, I was in my apartment in New York, just, you know, trying to be good, like trying to socially isolate, but not that well. And so the least I could do, that's what I told myself. That's literally my like calculation was that, all right, I don't need, if I can't like truly isolate, 
at least I got to stop traveling. I can't be like that guy. And I stopped. But that made it tough. And so, you know, I took my time with it, but called Chris, called some other people. Like he mentioned before, we were just brainstorming, ideating for a while. Um, but ultimately, I think, you know, we got our stuff together. And by January 2021, we were really able to execute quickly, start testing. And, you know, especially through Chris and the team's hard work, we found like, you know, relatively some quick success working with some amazing creators. And it's just been an awesome experience. Yes. And so why podcasting of all, you know, everything going on in the digital media landscape? Why? Why podcast? So I better answers will overlap, but, you know, I'll start out on my side. You know, we're both media nerds, so it was going to be something in media and ad tech. But podcasting, at least for me, um, the most simple phrase I can say is that's the best way to invest in creators. When you're thinking about, like, how do I create valuable IP? You ask, like, a TV veteran or something like that, they'll tell you, well, there's a pilot. It will cost seven figures, et cetera. For us, though, you know, we wanted to be involved with creators that already have established franchises that are doing really great work, sometimes in their own studio you know, apartment, and as a consequence, figure out ways to like, create more value. And to your point earlier, you know, if we do our jobs well, we'll not only make money from brand partnerships, which we know well, but things like subscription as well. And I think over time, there's a, a lot of adaptation opportunities, like can this live on TV? Could this be a live event? Could this also be a book? And we're at the beginning phases, obviously, of scaling that out. But the answer is, I think, to all those questions and more, as, as we're sounding yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, podcasting is just one of those really amazing mediums where you can, all you need to do is buy a mic and, you know, just set up shop and start speaking into it. And as long as you're consistent, I mean, with anything in influencer marketing, it's, it's pretty much consistency and content. Mm -hmm. um, but so many of the creators that, you know, we work with, uh, today, and especially like early on in the company, they've kind of started their podcasts just like that, you know, out of home, out of their homes, uh, built an amazing, impressive audience and just, you know, figured that they actually needed some actual, you know, support beyond just their creative jobs. And so that's kind of one aspect of it. And I think that, you know, I'm recalling a, a conversation that I had with Gretchen Smith over at Ad Results. And, you know, she was her background's very similar to mine. I come from, you know, the agency side, uh, worked on the Johnson & Johnson business, which is where I met David and uh, asked him for a job when he was trying to pitch me Giant Media. <laughs> but um, but basically, you know, the, podcasting is such an amazing, uh, influential medium. You know, you're so captive. People are in your ears, and not enough brands, I think, are, you know, really jumping in on that opportunity. And so I think that's the other side of the coin, right? Like helping the creators out uh, who have found this amazing opportunity, but also matching the brand partners that are just kind of like getting into the space. Yes. Yeah. And, and I love you mentioning um, Gretchen's name. She is on an episode that is out now. So go go listen to uh, Chris's conversation. I, le with I learned from Gary Arndt to, to always reference back episodes. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There we go. And shout out Gary from Everything Everywhere Daily. Um, so you mentioned that that well nearly all glass box shows are that grown from home very indie nature where they they grew out they grew from their either living room or, or or basement from every corner of the world even um how did you all decide to target those types of creators and shows yeah so there's a lot more fragmentation than maybe we realized when we started the company but we quickly learned that and so what we mean by that is that there's a lot of like you mentioned indie podcasters that are out there producing a really high quality show, but surprisingly reaching a fair amount of people. And so we thought those are the folks we want to sign to long-term contracts. Those are the folks that we want to invest in and figure out how do we scale this more quickly and more importantly, monetize it more efficiently. So 
just one thing I will throw out there because we get this question a lot. These are pretty sizable podcasts. Like collectively, we're working with almost 80 podcasts now, and we reach almost 12 million people every single month. So some of them might have as few as 50,000 monthly listeners, but in some cases, some of them have over 2 million. So there's a lot of variance. There's a lot of scale. And it's shocking sometimes to know like what a very simplified streamlined team can do. Literally just one host and maybe a producer. And we've been able to kind of like professionalize that, automate a lot of process and just help them scale from here. Yeah. And a special shout out to Matthew out in Nashville for, mm-hmm. uh, you know, really uh, basically making that a process efficient, finding the creators that need the help and the support and uh, advocating for Glassbox. Yes, absolutely. And I, I um, am almost certain Matt will be on a future episode of Business of, Business of Sound. Um, yeah, he is our partnership director here at Glassbox. Um, so the... Um, what do you think? There, there's a, now a fair amount of you know podcast networks or companies uh, popping yeah. up that, especially over the over the last three years, uh, they, they've they've just exploded. What do you think separates Glassbox from some of those other other companies? It's a great question. And so, just to be candid, taking a step back, you know, Giant Media grew and was successful, but it was bootstrapped. I think in some ways that's great, but there's consequences for that too. You have to grow a little bit more slowly, more deliberately, and maybe not take as many chances as you otherwise would. So the reason why we took money from investors was to basically jump in immediately and start executing. So the point I guess I'm trying to make is that the one reticent sort of number one due diligence question anyone has for us on the investor side, especially venture capitalists, is, wait a minute, all right, you guys know a lot about media, but isn't podcasting crowded? The answer is yes. But in analyzing this space, we've tended to see a lot of straightforward podcast networks. In other words, they're only concerned with monetization. No disrespect intended, but very transactional. In other words, it's very arm's length relationship with the hosts. And, you know, candidly, it comes and goes. And there's a lot of competition for that. Then we also notice that there's a lot of amazing companies that we have profound respect for. You work with some of them. People mm-hmm. like Malcolm Gladwell's Pushkin Media, um, companies that basically develop content from the ground up. We love it, but like a lot of industry insiders can tell you, it's hella hard to grow a podcast from scratch. It's possible. And it's lucrative, but the reality is that it's difficult. And we thought there had been too much funding, too much effort into that. So we basically are playing almost like the middle game where we're going to establish creators that might already have a relationship with 500,000 dedicated, passionate listeners, but still need help to professionalize and take themselves to the next level. So that's functionally what we're doing. And on the flip side, we see ourselves as a more comprehensive media company meaning that we're not just concerned with the brand partnership side of things. We're thinking about future growth opportunities like adaptations and in your neck of the woods, more straightforward Mm -hmm. marketing, audience growth, doing anything we can to basically elevate that. Yeah, David, I think you kind of nailed it. Um, You know, a lot of the competition tends to be focused solely on ad sales, and that's obviously a really important part of the equation. But anytime we talk to a creator, um, anytime that – you know, we, we sign, we're signing people weekly, which is exciting. Um, I always like to think that, you know, the partnership really, uh, you know, it, it becomes the real challenge when we sign somebody on day one because we got to show them everything that we do for them uh, mm-hmm. and everything that we promised. Um, but that more comprehensive partnership tends to be the feedback that we constantly get, um, you know, over and over from the creators that we're signing. And uh, Nick, you and your team, you're a big part of that as well. 
Yeah, yes. Well, thank you. Yeah, and it's been crazy. Even so, I joined last October, and it's been crazy to see the the show growth on some of our you know core staples of Glassbox. Crawl space is is multiple times larger than than when when I signed or when I joined just eight eight months ago. That it's been yeah, yeah it's it's been re- remarkable the the systems and processes that are in place on the marketing and um, marketing front. Well, be well um, well before I I joined the team. Um, so and you know um, going into the the creator support, are there any like specific examples or anecdote stories on that that really showcase the support that we give to to our podcasters? Yeah, there's probably a lot to speak through, but just to give you a few examples, like one of the recent shows that we signed, you know, is uh, Tanner Campbell's Practical Stoicism. You know, it's a great podcast, obviously about philosophy, but at the end of the day, it's really geared towards uh, males who want to figure out how to level up. That could be their career could be their approach to stress, you name it. And when he came to us, it was already around, you know, 200,000 monthly listeners. So not a small show by any means, but now it's almost tripled. And that's a pretty short amount of time. We think we'd certainly have made the IP more valuable, but to actually actualize that, you know, we're speaking to him constantly about new opportunities and adaptations for him specifically, uh, book publishing. So whether it's through a shed or a penguin random house, we're very confident they'll be able to work in tandem with them and basically make something of that so that practical stoicism starts to take on a life of its own beyond just the digital podcast. Um, moving away from creators for a second, you all mentioned some of the clients you work with at Giant, and obviously any form of media ad sales are a big you know, part of, um, of that business model. How valuable has the, your existing relationships in, in the media buying space been uh, while, while starting Glassbox? Well, it's a pretty interesting question, Nick, because I feel like a lot of our previous relationships, they're still asking questions about podcasting. So mm. it's been a lot of, um, you know, smile and dial. Hey, we're back again. Um, <laughs> remember us from Giant, but uh, have you heard about podcast? And a lot of the feedback that we get uh, tends to be around brand safety, you know, curating the right content. Uh, and I think we've been able to help a lot of great brands like Heineken, uh, Hyundai recently. Um, you know, we're approaching a lot more brands like Johnson & Johnson and Kraft um, with just essentially curated media plans that feel brand safe, uh, hit their toward core target audiences effectively, and, um, you know, uh, are able to basically usher them into the space and they, you know, feel safe around that. Um, when I think about kind of like the bedrock of advertising and podcasting, which is, you know, direct response performance brands like the Better Helps of the World, the Athletic Greens, which mm-hmm. are great clients of ours, um, you know, butcher box, uh, you know, a lot of the feedback that we get from those brands tends to be around, you know, they're testing tons of podcasts. Actually, I'm like, I was telling Jackie, our SVP of operations, mm-hmm. uh, today, I was like, I'm super impressed by how two people seem to be running point on basically testing a thousand plus podcasts on an ongoing basis, checking the performance, optimizing, slashing, adding on, doubling down, et cetera. Um, but the feedback that we get from those team members tends to be focused on, you know, just being transparent. You know, if something's not working, uh, you know, let's have an open, honest conversation around it. Let's figure out how we can optimize. So Jackie and her team, they're basically running point of over at Glassbox to make sure that we're kind of constantly staying in touch with the brand partners on that side of things. Um, and then also, yeah, I heard this comment also, again, from Gretchen uh, early, yesterday when we did that recording, but... Um, she basically said, I'm so glad to hear that you actually get on the calls with the brands to have the conversation around how you should be positioning the ad read. And for us, we just kind of like David and I look at that and we're like, that's table stakes. You yeah. know, 
the whole goal of taking a test to, you know, an upfront with a brand, that's, that's like the spirit of the entire thing. So to be able to jump on those calls and make sure that we're, you know, basically servicing the brands the right way, the way that they want to be, be serviced. That's, that's great. Yeah. You know, just to add to that, I think we have a very clear idea of like who we are and what we bring to the industry. So we're really, like Chris said, excited to be working with Athletic Greens and BetterHelp. They're amazing clients. Um, but the reality is we also expect to help transition, not just former giant media clients, but those massive brand awareness companies. So to our surprise, and you always learn something when you build a company, you know, former clients like Honigan and Hyundai, they, they weren't in this space before. And it's not like they're not fans of podcasting. Of course they are. But they had a lot of concerns or even questions about transparency, third-party tracking, basically the meat and potatoes of media and what they expect from video and social media, for example. So what we really feel we see ourselves doing is evangelizing the value of podcasting to a whole class of advertisers that surprisingly haven't really invested quite yet. And we're very confident in our ability to do that. And we're well on our way to doing that as well. So it's an exciting time right now, but I think that's part of the reason that we're at the forefront on the brand side of things. Yes, and um, on those, um, the brands interested in the space but that have, have yet to take a buy, Chris mentioned um, brand safety coming up. Is that the most common question, or, or is, is there another question or, a question or topic that, that, that comes up more frequently than brand safety? <clears throat> it tends to be really that. Um, I think that a lot of the buyers that are looking for scale, um, a lot of those big brand awareness buyers, um, you know, they want to test a lot of different types of podcasts, but, you know, they also are resource constrained, right? So, like, they've got teams that need to sift through thousands of podcasts. And so the conversations that we're having with them is we can kind of cut that work out for you. We can offer you a basket of podcasts that you know, really effective in reaching your target audience um, that are brand safe because we've vetted them and that's resonating like much more. I mean, we, we thought it would resonate, but it's, it's actually hitting hard. Yeah. So, so, so kind of break that down. Like, you know, for example, we're, we're here in Brooklyn at the Spotify studios. They're just an amazing partner. And I think a, a true trailblazer in this whole industry, Absolutely. you know, everyone owes them a debt of gratitude. But the one comment I will make is that these big brands, what they mean by brand safety is not that there's something bad happening in podcasting. What they're simply saying is that they want it curated because it's hard sometimes to activate a thousand podcasts if they don't have a team or a capability of analyzing like what the brand thinks would like, you know, be safe. As an example, there's a huge range there. Diageo is more conservative than, you know, other liquor companies. Um, J&J might be more conservative or less conservative than other conglomerates. And so the value that Glassbox brings to the table is that we're curating our portfolio of podcasts. We know they're premium. We know their brand safe. That's why we signed them. And we're basically enabling you to cherry pick what will go on this media plan and importantly, what won't. So it's not a run and network approach. It's mm. very contextual. And whether you buy that through a host retype activation or programmatic, you know, it's, you're going to get that orientation every time with Glassbox. So I think increasingly that's going to be the way to go. Amazing. Um, so this uh, this show, we will, you know, continue to talk about news, trends, shifts, shifts in, in the market. All of that. Um, where do you see the future of the podcast podcast industry evolving over the uh, the, the next few years? Hmm. You know, content and curation, I think, are going to be big themes. We're starting to hear that a lot more. So people fit, want to figure out not just how to invest in podcasting, but on the right types of content. So while it is a little self-serving, you know, I'm going to admit to that, I do think that we're moving in a direction where that really matters. 
In other words, it makes sense to me that technology and infrastructure, you know, companies like that, that like Megaphone and Aswiz, you know, not only grew quickly, but were snapped up really quickly by the bigs like Spotify mm-hmm. and Sirius Radio. And now that that's been established, people are trying to figure out different ways to invest in content. And in a lot of ways, that's what we're doing. We're a content company too. It's just that we made a decision we're better off working with talented, passionate creators versus trying to do it from scratch and betting that our taste is better than everybody else's. Yeah, I think <clears throat> I think globalization is also a big trend. Um, you know, podcasts are just getting more and more popular all around the world. Erica, our producer, co-producer, um, has the third uh, most popular true crime podcast in Brazil. And I'm going to botch the name, so I'll let Nick say it. Um, I'm, I'm also like a Midwest boy at heart, so I will botch <laughs> any non. Um, but uh, Casos Reyes? Yes, heck nice. yes, Erica Nailed signed it, it off. Yeah. Nailed it. Um, and she, I, I have this as a note for later. Um, she's also nominated for a, a, a one of the top podcasts in Brazil. We will put the link in the show notes, so everyone listening should vote for Erica's podcast. Uh, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Carry nice. on, though. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. That was a good shout-out. Yeah. Well-deserved. Yeah. That was yeah. good. Uh, no, so, yeah, back to globalization. Um, you know, I think about shows like Tanner Campbell's Practical Stoicism. I think about Everything Everywhere Daily, Gary Arndt's show that was also shouted out earlier on the show. Um, these topics that these guys cover are, you know, for all audiences. It doesn't have to be English speaking. So as, you know, AI continues continues to develop, are there ways that we can actually, you know, have an Espanol version of a show uh, mm-hmm. to reach broader audiences, uh, Japanese version, you know? I think democratizing... Uh, the audio in those formats, I think, will be an exciting opportunity in the future. And then also video. Video is a huge opportunity right now, too. A lot of the buyers are getting really excited about uh, simulcast shows. So not just audio, but video. And I think about, um, you know, back when I was a buyer on the Johnson & Johnson account at J3, um, I remember just being super amped up about Spotify, but the YouTube rep came in and was like, we're number one in music. And I was Mm. just like, how is that even possible Spotify exists. Uh, mm. But, you know, lo and behold, millennials were building playlists of music videos <laughs> and listening to them on YouTube. So it makes total sense to me, um, you know, when somebody's like, one of our creators is like, should I have a, you know, like, should I be on YouTube? And the answer is resoundingly absolutely yes, because certain people want to consume content in different ways. And it doesn't mean your content's not good. So I think finding ways to streamline that process, um, whether that's through AI or just, you know, hard-nosed production, just getting into video uh, the hard way, uh, I think that's going to be exciting, too. Yes, yeah, um, and you mentioned the uh, the YouTube uh, music video playlist. Chris, in a previous life, was a VJ in college. Yeah, I was. Yeah, if I'm okay to bring that up, but yes, yeah. Um, so, yeah. T- yeah, talk about talk about experiential going way back for yeah. VJ. Um, yeah, so um, to, to kind of close out here, what, what are some uh, podcasts you're optimistic for within Glassbox, and then what, what other show or shows do you, do you listen to out, outside of work? I'll start by saying that I'm very optimistic about all of them. Of course. I want to be diplomatic, but, (laughs) you know, we recently had the opportunity to sit down with one of our creators, Jerry Kolber, and, um, you know, he's one of the founders of Atomic Entertainment, and they have a lot of amazing hit shows, but, you know, um, I love everything that they're doing, including um, uh, Sound Smart Uh, or... Who smarted? Who um, smarted? And he will be on <laughs> Who's the. Smarted? Yes, yeah, and um, he will be next week's episode. He, my favorite to tease it. Um, he is um, friends with Pharrell Williams, so that's my favorite. Like a little fun that's fact nice. about Jerry. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, but you know, like he's one of those creators that has just done a lot in every medium, like TV. You know, like all sorts of things. He's won an Emmy before. Mm-hmm. He knows exactly what he's doing. So, 
you know, who's smarted obviously is a great format, but he said it best, I think, much better than we could. And it's just that he wanted to create like new IP, have full control over it. If he decides to do something with it on TV again, he'll have a lot more leverage this time because they know what he's bringing to the table. There's already an audience there. So the reason I'm enthusiastic about it is I just think it's really smart. It's also a really critical format, family essentially, um, you know, basically programming aimed at making kids like lives better. And, you know, Chris can already tell you he's already working very hard at monetizing that with the team. Yeah, and and then then non glass box show that that you just enjoy as a fan. Hmm. Well, I'm like a sports buff, so like I definitely listen to a lot of the athletic programming, specifically for soccer. Okay, you know whether it's about the English Premier League or even like the drama that continuously like envelopes like the U.S. national team. That's my thing. So I definitely like to do that just to like veg out and just hang out. Okay, love it. All right, Chris. Same same two questions of like uh, glass box show and then then just a f- general fan. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, to echo David, there's a lot of exciting reasons to you know rally behind a lot of different shows at Glassbox, and mm-hmm. all of them have their own unique um, edges. Um, Gary's show is one that I binge like constantly, so I'm just I'm always trying to think of ways to just get it out there more and more. I think it's such an amazing format. Um, you know, it's short form about anything from history to geography to you know, moments in time, which I just think are, you know, really just amazing. Yes. Um, Everything, but, everywhere, daily. And the, yeah. Uh, yeah, the average listener of that show listens like 15 episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's, it, right. yeah, yeah, it's it, crazy high consumption rate. Yeah, yeah, yeah and it's, and it's all, it's all uh, ages too, which I think mm-hmm. is amazing. My mother-in-law um, absolutely loves it. My stepdad absolutely loves it. My dad also loves it. So, yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but Gary is also, you know, being played in classrooms, you know, mm-hmm. around the U.S. So that's pretty exciting. Um but then I look at somebody like Kevin Miller and Self Helpful. Um, you know, great content, uh, basically like working to empower people. He goes does really deep dives on a weekly basis, uh, three episodes, interviews really interesting people on a variety of topics, but you know, all through their lens of supporting you. Um, I look at him and I'm like, this guy should be bigger on Spotify, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we're right now, you, me, him, we're all working together on basically figuring out ways to, you know attract younger listeners, younger audiences, and part of that's programming. And so that's, I think, exciting aspect of podcasting as well. Um, a lot of the like, you know, creator tools that Spotify is putting out right now that enable you to do surveys and just really, you know, plug into your audience and just get a better understanding of how you can like, you know, curate the content better. I think that's really awesome. So, um, you know, shout out to Spotify for putting those tools together. Yes, yes, absolutely. And then, and then non-glassbox show. So uh, every morning, my wife and I work out together uh, around like 6 a.m., and we're on The Daily, uh, which I love, great podcast. Um, And then we do listen to this show called The Best One Yet, which is formerly known as Robin Hood Snacks, if Mm. anybody in the room listens to that. Yes. Uh, Pretty great comedy podcast. Shout out to Oren Rosenbaum over at UTA for recently signing those guys, um, but you know I, it's just kind of you know three business stories done in a really comedic kind of broy mm-hmm. way, and you know it's just fun content. Fun, so, get you through the workout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I'll I'll answer both questions if I fill up some space. The um, <laughs> um, I I love Pivot with Scott Galloway, Kara yep. Swisher. Yeah, mm-hmm. both of you know that. Um, uh, Chris and I actually had the chance to see a live taping of Kara Swisher for on. Yeah, we did. At Honor Fest a couple months ago. So oh, wow. yeah, yes. Um, and it was uh, whole again. She had a cold, so I was a little bummed out. You know. 
Yes, yes. And I, of course, you know, was like stalking the hallways hoping right. I could meet her, but yeah. I didn't get that opportunity. But I, I, again, it was just another cool, cool moment of like, mm-hmm. you know, working at Glassbox. Um, and then for Glassbox specific shows, um, I'll highlight two. Um, One Strange Thing is a paranormal show, and mm-hmm. um, I, I can just envision that becoming a whole franchise with a mm-hmm. television show and, and, and all of that. And then um, one of the uh, the co-creators, Maura, Maura Curry, in um, in Vegas, I went antique shopping with her when, when we were there for a podcast. Oh, what did you guys buy? Uh, I, I was going to buy uh, the Hotel California Eagles vinyl album, but then when I thought about flying back with it, I was like, this is going to get wrecked. Right. Um, so I yeah, just uh, bought like a, a picture frame with more but it was a fun fun few hours spending still together. a delightful day absolutely yeah. absolutely <laughs> and then the, the other one i'll mention um easy stories in english is mm-hmm. um hosted by ariel who lives in the english countryside and they teach um they use podcasting to teach english as a second language to non-english speakers and it's been a um a unique challenge on a marketing front of of how do we like it's a it's a different toolkit hitting people in non English speaking countries compared to you know our true crime slate and and our, and our other podcasts so that um, yeah that that that's been it's it's great to it's been great to work with with Ariel and just is presenting unique challenges that that have been been very fun to work work through um, so kind of rounding out. Um, first episode of the show i feel like this is this has been fun so thank you thank yeah. you all for joining us yeah, um, definitely enjoyed it. yes so from here on out we have two other uh, episodes that we just posted um david will be the host of the show and then w- we will have multiple correspondents who have conversations with industry experts from all corners of the podcasting industry um chris uh, as we mentioned has the episode with gretchen smith from ad results which is out now um that episode will be very will uh, an episode like that will be coming out every other week. And then on those off weeks in between, David and one of our sales executives, Aaron O'Toole, who's actually my neighbor in the Upper East Side. Shout out, Aaron. Um, um, Aaron and David will sit and have um, um, discuss and recap uh, major stories and trends happening in the podcast uh, podcast industry. Um, so the, um, all both of those um, types of episodes are out now. So certainly get get a sense of the show, listen to them, and then moving forward, they will alternate one uh, one every or we're posting an episode weekly, and then the the content mm-hmm. type will, will alternate. Um, and yes, um, Erica, I co-produced this with Erica, and as we mentioned, she has an amazing show, one of the top top podcasters out of Brazil. We're incredibly lucky to have her. So again, uh, Casos Rios, go vote for the show with the episode description. Um, with that said, do you all have anything else, or or are we ready to, to read it out? Any, any parting thoughts from the co-founders? Hmm. You know, again, it's just a privilege to work with not only Chris, but the whole team. And uh, we're really excited that we're just beginning this journey. So it's awesome to get this level of recognition. And hopefully, again, we could do right by our creator partners and the brand partners as well. Yeah. And again, shout out, a shout out Spotify. Thanks for thanks for allowing us to record yeah. here. Yeah. 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 Beautiful space. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Business of Sound. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please consider giving us a five-star review um, as that will help us get the show out there. Additionally, special shout out to our producers, Nick Kastner and Erica Miranda. They do a magnificent job, and I hope you agree. Additionally, if you liked what you heard, feel free to follow us on Instagram or LinkedIn or your social platform of choice. We're going to be coming to you every Thursday, providing you information that we think will be, will be very helpful towards learning about podcasting, whether you're on the content creation 
or the business side. Thank you so much.